I got a one. A one. Oh my goodness. This is the topic we've been waiting for uh, many months to discuss. Uh, the topic we'll be discussing today is how do you handle romance and shopping in your games? That <laughs> okay. It's a good one. Hello and welcome to Roll for Topic, a roundtable discussion about running role-playing games. Each episode, our guest rolls on the table topics and we discuss the result. My name is Chris Salzman. My name is Andy Rao. And this week we're joined by our special guest, Don Stroud, who just rolled on the table. Hey, Don. Hey, thanks for having me on, first of all. Yeah, well, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, I hope you have a lot to say about romance and shopping. I don't know if I have a ton to say about romance. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so Don, we got connected roughly with the, the RPG Fest that ha- happened at the Annaber Library. Um, but then, yeah, it turns out like you actually like you write some games, you write some adventures and stuff. Um, yeah, I've been quote-unquote professionally writing um, yeah. RPG stuff. I think the first book came out in oh man I, it was 2018 oh nice that's super great what was that um that was a adventure module for the role-playing game mothership it was called dead planet nice yes mothership yes a lot of uh, a lot of our past guests and i know andy loved loved that game yeah lot. we spent a lot of time praising mothership here on the show i've got my copy of dead planet oh, here in fact uh, nice nice that's awesome. We've specifically praised Dead Planet as well. I think just because it's a, I find it a pretty remarkable use of space. There's a limited number of words compared to a lot of RPG supplements, but they're mm-hmm. just really well chosen, very evocative, and then combined it with what I consider some really good graphic design. It's a pretty remarkable module. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to give thanks to Sean McCoy. Um, he was a co-author, and that. All the layout, all the graphic design was him, and he's a genius that way. And as far as the brevity of the words, I am very wordy. So, uh, <laughs> so we had Fiona Geist on to um, kind of edit us down, but then she ended up writing the the Nightmare Table and the Red Tower, and just like taking everything and just making it nice and tight and concise. It was a great team, and. Yeah, we actually won the Silver Any last year for Best Adventure. That's yeah, congrats. How did you so how did you get connected into to writing writing adventures and modules? I mean, I think we all kind of do it, right? Um, <laughs> that was not me like asking for a job, right? Like that was right, just, I'm just right. really curious, like what was your path to get there? <laughs> um yeah, just doing a lot by myself and then I started going to conventions back in 2011, mm-hmm. and I think I met um, Alan Girding and Sean McCoy in 2012, maybe 2013, and they ended up starting a game company, and they did uh, party games, and then one year, Sean was like, hey, we should do this Mothership game, yeah. like a few weeks before Origins. Uh, I can't help with that. I'm listed as a developer in there. Um, oh, so, cool. yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, of course, I've always written. I've got, you know, files and files and files of stuff I whipped out. Um, I think I really started writing seriously, or not seriously, a lot in maybe 2011, 2012. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, reading a lot of the OSR blogs. And, yeah, and then it just kind of worked out to Mothership took off. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. we kind of pitched ideas for Dead Planet. 
And then uh, I had been working on a book called Lesser Key to the Celestial Legion, oh, um, oh, which yeah. is yeah, which is um, basically an angel generator for like fantasy games. Oh, it was it's an angel generator, but also a bunch of other things clerics can do uh, because I love the class. I know everyone hates it. Um, <laughs> you know, everyone hates the what. Gnomes, bards, and clerics, right? <laughs> well, I love the clerics, and so the lesser key has jobs they can do, like, you know, preaching. They can find relics. There's a, it's just full of tables. I forgot how many tables are in it, like 29, 30 tables. Wow. Nice. Uh, maybe more than that. I always love the clerics in my game because I, I love, like, putting them on the spot to ask them, like, yeah, like, like what is your religion, right? Like, so, like, kind of fleshing that out over the course of the game is really fun. Right, right. Yeah, so I don't know if you've seen um, the book, but there's a whole there's a whole chapter on aspects of religion. How do you worship? Do you sing? Do you, you know, what what is your holy book written on? Like, it goes so deep into religion. I, I guess I'd been working on that for years. Right? Yeah. And I didn't really think I was going to put it out, but then we put Dead Planet out, and everyone was like, oh my god, this is so great. I'm like, I gotta have more. You, yeah, you gotta. Yeah. <laughs> There's always gotta be that next thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I put that yeah. on Kickstarter uh, last January. And, uh, you know, it did It did well. I got the money. I put it out. It's out there now. Uh, you can cool. find it on Drive Through RPG yeah, in we'll PDF form. We'll throw yeah. a link to the, the show notes for that, for sure. Yeah. Or I still have copies so people can hit me up on Twitter or Facebook and I can send them out. Um, our local friendly gaming store stocks it. Uh, oh, Vault of Midnight? Yeah, oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, Vault of Midnight, yeah. Yeah, so Andy has a Vault of Midnight over on his end of uh, Michigan as well, too. So. Yeah. Oh, yes. They're yeah. a great place, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I don't have it out there and I should. Yeah. Well, I mean, Andy's probably going to buy a copy then and he'll, he'll take it over there. So you yeah. want to stock this? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah, so I guess, so like, yeah, so you're writing currently, right? But like, what, what's sort of your history of, of getting into gaming? Did you get into it around 2012 or you've been gaming longer than that? I wish I could say I was one of those guys. Yeah, I was gaming back in. You know, 1980, but I couldn't because it was satanic and my parents were very religious. So it was not allowed. I remember like my senior year in high school, I went to a friend's house and I was all excited to roll up a ranger, you know, in first edition AD&D. This was 1991 or so. And I was all excited to play and they were like, no, you can't play. I'm like, so (laughs) I think when I moved out of the house you know, I kind of bought some of the old books, and I loved reading them. I mean, I've always been reading, like, sci-fi and fantasy since I was, like, in fourth grade. So yeah. I loved the, uh, you know, the genres. But, yeah, I didn't really start playing hardcore until probably 2011. Uh, mm-hmm. I'd played a few times before that for, like, you know, a year. Yeah. And then I always kind of got away from it. Yeah. Um, I was always more into, like, Warhammer 40K. Oh, yeah, yeah. If someone were to sit down with you, Don, and you were going to run a game of, say, D&D for them, what kind of default, what what could they sort of expect, like, setting-wise? Like, what kind of game do you run? Is it is it a real old-school sort of thing? Is it a more new-school, really narrative? It is probably more old-school at this point. Probably kind of hex crawl. Um, I would probably use, I would say I'd use Dungeon Crawl Classics because that's kind of my go-to. And I like that system because... Everything you do is kind of open-ended, and it spawns its own 
crusades and quests, you know, because uh, mm-hmm. you push the luck, you roll the dice, you're like, oh, I'm going to use part of my body for this spell. <laughs> and then, then you know, the person who you got that power from wants something from you, you know. Oh, um, cool. Yeah, so every single thing is kind of like just pushing the narrative, which I kind of like is cool. So, you know, maybe that's more of a mix. Like, yes, definitely old school, but... I like. I don't like just hey, go out and kill some stuff. You know, I do like there to be a narrative, and that's probably why I worked on the cleric stuff for so long. Is because you know, <laughs> clerics are just like, oh, hey, I have a god, and I'm going to hit you with my mace. Yeah. Um, and this kind of gives them. Why are you doing this? You need to convert followers to power up your god, and this is what you can do. You know, you can go. You can uh, push out spirits that are inhabiting a body. Yeah, a cleric is such it's such a strange class when you can take it against some of the other standard D&D things cuz it's it's like the one class that has this massive social baggage attached to it. Mm-hmm. Everybody else is sort of uh defined by like the thing that they do, but the cleric is is not just a mechanical role in the party, it's got this social role as well. And mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it's kind of intimidating and and that's I think that's why you see a lot of people playing it just like a mace swinging you know, right. may swinging zealot yeah. and not much else because what what do you do with that? It's a lot. Yeah, yeah it's a yeah. little easier. Yeah, that makes me interested. I mean, like you know, they you know you can always like play games where everybody's the same you know character class, right? So like a, a party of all rangers or something like that would be fun, but a party of all clerics would be really interesting too, right? Yeah, like, especially yeah. if they had like opposing opposing gods and stuff, right? Like you could do lots of fun stuff with that, especially with you know some of the stuff you're talking about in the. Um, the lesser key supplement. Right. Yeah, if you yeah. generated a crazy, weird angel that came down <laughs> and, like, you know, the earth was lifting up around it because it was bending the rules of reality yeah. and it was saying, hey, our god wants you to go do this and the whole party of clerics is like a like holy band and maybe they have a fighter or two that yeah. kind of functions as paladins, maybe even, like, some kind of thief that's like, yes, of course I'm a holy thief. Yes. Like, that'd be <laughs> a nice angle. And then if yeah. you kind of play with the whole... Uh, chaos, lawful, neutral, you know, alignments like the old school only had the three, you know, like good, evil doesn't matter. It's like, where do you align yourself in the realm? Like, yeah, you can do tons of stuff with that. Yeah. Oh, that sounds great. Well, now I want to run that game, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. someday. Yeah. <laughs> let's, uh, let's actually yeah, turn to our topic at hand. The question is, you know, how do you handle romance and shopping in your games? So mm-hmm. I will say up front that romance does not come up very much in the games that I run for better, or for worse. Right. It, it, it has in the past, but <laughs> it's not something I'm really good at. And shopping yeah. is also one of those things that <laughs> I'm never quite sure how to make it exciting and interesting. So I'm actually really looking forward to hearing, um, both of you talk about this and educate me on exactly so, how to how to do this. <laughs> so, do you remember why these two unrelated topics are smashed together into one question? I remember that Kyle had some a clever reason for combining these two things. Can you can you jar my memory, Chris? I I don't remember. I think the best answer is probably because Kyle was thinking about them at the exact okay. same time. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think they're they're kind of two elements of of games that I would say probably get glossed over the most, even though there's sort of, uh, they're both very rich veins for interesting, interesting possibilities there. But most of the time, right. Shopping just gets distilled down to like, okay, well here's the, you know, here's the page in the player's handbook, right. Or, you know, just tell me what you're going to buy. And romance is just like, well, that's scary. Let's not do that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, let's start with shopping, I guess. How do you handle how do you handle shopping in your games that you run? Do you let players just flip through the player's handbook and mark down what they have? Do you have 
big role-playing encounters where they go around town, you know, checking the shops, that sort of thing? I do actually probably mash those two methods up. Like, I say, well, hey, this is a general store. They're going to have, like, your general supplies. There is a, an occasion where I'll, you know, you know, do the shopkeeper's voice, but I'm not going to sit there and, like, it seems like a time waster to be like, <laughs> well, I only have eight torches <laughs> in the back. Like, yeah. who has time for that? Especially... <laughs> I don't know about you guys. I'm like older now, you know, I'm in my forties <laughs> and we just want to like, I mean, it sounds like we're kids again. We just want to hit stuff with a sword yeah. and you know, we want the experience. Um, but I do actually make them go to different stores and I'll probably mm-hmm. do like the hello voice. There is a point, you know, maybe if we're just firing up the session, like we've just started the campaign where I'll be like, just open the book and you have that stuff, you know? Yeah. Like, yes, use your gold. And then they can, you know, sit there and pool their gold together and, you know, kind of work it out. Like, that's kind of, like, part of the fun, I think, Mm -hmm. is, like, you're working together as a party, you know. And, yes, your players, yes, your, you know, PCs. But it's kind of like, it's not role-playing, but it is playing together. I'll do things like, well, you know, the gems are rare in this town, so... Mm -hmm. You know, they're going to cost 10% more. Like, I'll have kind of basic notes for some kind of economy, just because that kind of makes it more interesting. But we don't do a lot of, like, actual sit there and role play it out. I was going to ask about that, about what role economy planning plays in your GMing. It sounds Mm -hmm. like, Don, you do a little bit of it. Chris, how about you? Do you sit down and you're like, well, in this town, they it's very difficult to get metal into this town, so I'm going to risk the shops are going to be restricted in that way and it's really hard to get fresh fruit or something like that so everything costs three times more how much meddling with the economy do you do you use it as a as a like an immersion tool or a sort of world building tool or do you just pretty much just say yeah here's the here's the player's handbook list of equipment if if i'm on my a game right sometimes i'll I'll make it a little bit more interesting and you know because it doesn't take a lot to just say exactly like what don was saying like stuff is 10% more here because they don't get a lot of gems, right? Like, and that gives a, a much better sense of sort of the world. One one mistake I made, I don't know if it was a mistake, it ended up being pretty fun, was I, uh, there was a town that had a lot of, like, an apple orchard, and I mentioned to them that there was another town that didn't have a lot of fruit so it was the exact fruit example <laughs> you're talking about. Okay. so they decided to set up, they decided to set up basically a trade route oh, and it just yeah. totally derailed like the entire like session right because they were figuring out like how to negotiate a price and how to like how many apples they could get from this town to the next town <laughs> like yeah. you know going back and forth and stuff it was really interesting i mean it was like probably the most collaborative they they were that mm-hmm. you know during that campaign was figuring yeah. out exactly how to maximize this capitalism um, <laughs> this capitalist fantasy that which that's into. yeah that's not like adventurous but it's cool when they do that stuff yeah like, it's because you know if yeah you if you were this like peasant who started adventuring like yeah you'd probably do that in real life right know? yeah totally yeah. it's like oh i can carry a sack of apples and if i can sell them for you know twice as much right yeah 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 the other thing that i did recently was I've been playing a little bit with like how long things take, right? So they don't just be able, they can't just like walk into a store and immediately get the thing that they want, right? Like sometimes you have to 
it's a service, right? You have to drop it off and come back mm-hmm. in two weeks, right? Mm-hmm. A lot can happen in two weeks. You know, so if you're asking a blacksmith to, you know, to do something for you, it doesn't happen immediately, right? It's not a video game. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, drop it off and, like, it sparkles and then it's all done <laughs> done for you. But, yeah, I mean, I think, like, that that creates some interesting then kind of gameplay loops where it's, like, they're thinking about, well, I dropped this thing off and then we're going to go do this other thing, but i got to make sure I come back because i got to pick up this thing, right? And then the shopkeeper is more a part of the world rather than a table that you're going to to, to buy items off of. Mm-hmm. What about you, Andy? Well, I guess the quick answer to that is I don't really tend to do much cool stuff with economy. You know, growing up and role-playing when I was younger, I got just pretty tired of the the purchasing time of, of game night. And uh, so generally speaking, I, I do kind of gloss over it. I wish I could say I could pull some of, that I pull some of the cool uh, stunts you guys are talking about, but uh, I don't. I was going to ask, though, do you ever, have either of you guys ever messed with looking at the effect that the adventuring party has on the local economy? Like, as they come back from their adventures and they're selling stuff back to the store and buying things, are mm-hmm. they, you know, pumping ancient gold coins into the local <laughs> economy and disrupting things? Or is that beyond the scope of what you're usually looking to do? I usually think about that. Like, I always like to name the coins and like, oh, this is a coin from, you know, the ancient Dwarven kingdom. Mm. Like, it's maybe worth twice what the gold coins you use. Nice. And maybe the town can't really handle that sort of thing. I don't do it too much, but, you know, the whole thing to make the game feel real and it's sometimes annoying, you know, tracking encumbrance, um, marking off the arrows, like... Yeah, it's paperwork. No one wants to do that. That's the first thing that gets, like, dumped. But when you do something like that, it kind of like, oh, we have to go over to this town because this town is kind of, you know, we've spent all the gold. They don't have any more gems to convert, so they're lighter. So we have to go over here and do this. Like, it's all about giving your players problems to solve that aren't just, you know, an orc in front of them with a spear Hmm. charging at them. Because, you know, yes, it's fun to kill things. Sometimes combat is a slog, and, you know, it's all about different challenges. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'll totally kind of consider that sort of thing. I don't always do it. Sometimes I'm lazy. Um, (laughs) You know, sometimes we've spent three of the four hours just horsing around and catching up and, you know, ordering a pizza. So we don't want to go into deep stuff like that. Um, But, yeah, I always kind of think about that sort of thing. What about you guys? It's something that's on my mind. The the campaign that I'm playing right now, like I'm trying to wrap it up, but this final dungeon that we're in, like the game is just throwing gold at them left and right, right? Like so they they keep on stumbling across, you know, these you know, caches of gold or or missing them rather. But yeah. <laughs> you know, like they, they could be could be picking up like all this extra stuff. And it's like and I'm not playing with encumbrance and so they've realized this, so they keep on just kind of taking everything <laughs> that they see mm-hmm. that's not nailed down. And it's like, well, okay, at a certain point they're gonna be, yeah, wander back into town with, you know, some obscene amount of money. Exactly what you're saying, Andy. Like it would just destabilize the economy completely if they did that. Right. So it would be pretty fun, I think, if they did that. And it's like I don't know, like everybody in the town tried to attack them to take it or mm-hmm. you, know, yeah. you know, something else happened. But then at the same time, it's like, well, I don't know. Maybe we should just like convert that to experience or something and then move on mm. with our lives. <laughs> yeah, there's the old, old school way to do that. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, like it is, it, it does seem like this, it's this whole engine for narrative, right? That's like, that's just sitting there that if you decide to interact with it on any level and modify it or tweak it, like you can create all these super interesting narrative hooks. 
But if you don't, right, it can just be sort of this thing that kind of supports the adventuring and going out and attacking and killing stuff, too. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess that's probably, like, maybe this is why Kyle combined these, right? Romance is sort of the same thing, right? You can just play a game where it's, like, no one really even becomes friends, right? Because you're too busy killing orcs, right? But you could also play a game where, like, you, you have friends, right? Like, you're coming back to town. Everybody's excited about, like, NPCs and stuff. And maybe there's, you know, kind of this rich inner life that each of the NPCs have. Yeah, I will say on that note, like I said, I tend to downplay shopping, but I have had memorable role-playing encounters come out of, you know, shopping with the barkeep. On the times when I have chosen to role-play out the shopping experience more um, explicitly and give the shopkeeper a personality, you you know, that has definitely led to some fun moments. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it, it is, it's one of those things that I think it's safe to not worry about it too much but i think you never want to you know completely just drop it out of your game because all of the reasons you guys just discussed and and it's a good place for people to interact with npcs because otherwise you know it can be a little tricky to keep them to have them bumping into npcs outside of just quest givers and people that they run into in the dungeon so i had a player once who um it was very early in the campaign and she wanted to modify her clothes she was a rogue and so she wanted to be more stealthy and so she wanted to go to the shop the shop and like buy a bolt of of cloth and then also get a sewing kit and i just had this moment where i was like i mean i guess you can do that and then i was looking up in the player's handbook it's like there's no sewing kit in there right like there's just no support whatsoever for fashion (laughs) (laughs) once you get there's like seven types of short sword but uh yeah there's like yeah exactly seven types of short sword like all do the exact same amount of damage right but there's like nothing about fashion and it's like just this i mean i don't know if it's a blind spot or it's you know it's just one of those things where it's like there should be a, a a rules companion that's just about different clothes and stuff but Mm -hmm. yeah but it's just like i mean how could you know you have retail in the game and it's like a huge part of retail is buying clothes right like and Mm -hmm. dressing yourself up and like doing all these things right there's just like wasn't a whole lot of support for that and ever since then i've been thinking a lot about like yeah like when characters describe themselves are they describing themselves based on their like weaponry or based on like their dress right all their accessories and things Mm. like that This is something that video games, especially like MMOs like Warcraft and the like, I think, invest a lot more energy into. I mean, Mm -hmm. if you've ever played a game like Warcraft, I mean, just think how much time you spend managing your inventory and like selling stuff and buying stuff. And like, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, buying dyes so that your cloak is the right color and it matches (laughs) your your pants and things (laughs) like that. I mean, that's an activity. I mean, people invest a lot of time in those mm-hmm. games and i say this from some experience playing warcraft and stuff back in the day it's obviously something that a certain percentage of players just really enjoy and get a kick out of but it's also mm-hmm. trickier to implement in a group setting you know with your friends on friday night and you only have two hours to play so do you guys want to shift into the uh, romance half of this question a little bit let's hear it <laughs> well yeah i didn't mean to imply by that that i had anything wise to say about it uh so how about i'll start out by saying uh i i have run numerous games where there were romantic relationships but very few games where there is anything i would call like romance role played out at the table um i don't i can't say that i've ever had even i don't like as a player, I've never had a romance, and as a GM, my group does not 
you know, they don't have any others, but just, you know, when I rolled the topic, I was like, oh, romance. <laughs> so we're waiting. And I was way. thinking, yeah, <laughs> I was like, you know, that could be a downtime thing. Yeah, you're like, someone's going off to prepare a spell. Like, what if somebody wants to, you know, go off with their honey? It's It will provide, like, so much extra stuff going on. Like, mm-hmm. oh, you're having a fight, you can't... I don't know, it's going to be kind of petty, but also it could be kind of fun. Yeah. Um, you know, there was this uh, classic, like... A D20 table of things that can go wrong in your town. I forgot who did it. I forgot what it was called. But you can totally add so much, like, romancing in there. Like, oh, you spent this much money. Oh, you know, you were really happy and you don't want to go adventuring. Yeah. Um, Yeah, there's so much you can do. I kind of like the idea now, and I'm probably going to work something (laughs) in. But so far, I've done nothing. Are you guys familiar with the role-playing game Pendragon? It's kind. Of, it's a an oldie. It it is one of the early games that really uh, invested heavily in the having a structure, a, like a year by year structure. So you would go mm-hmm. adventuring, and then you would have like a downtime period where you all went back to your farms and your castles, and and uh, there was, you know, there are tables to roll on to to see how much money your castle was bringing in, and if there was a drought that year. And part of that was the assumption that your player on some of these downtime periods was getting married and having kids. And it didn't go into much more detail than that because its interest was just in establishing some social connections. But it does seem, like Don said, it does seem like something you could easily make into a kind of a cool series of charts for downtime. You know, how are your how are your relationships going? What's coming out of them? And how might whatever is going on in your relationship, how might that affect where you are today as the adventure starts, you know, and you're heading out yeah. to the dungeon and you're leaving all this drama. You've got all this drama maybe in the background. Um, I don't know. There's there's some potential yeah. there. My level five fighter just goes into a closet and just waits for the next adventure. Doesn't do anything. <laughs> just you know, sharpens his sword and <laughs> counts his arrows over and over. <laughs> he comes, he's brought out of cryogenic freezing every uh, yeah. every yeah. two yeah. weeks. To I mean, yeah, it's like, as we're talking, it's like, this is, it's kind of absurd that, like, a character would not have some sort of romantic something happening in the <laughs> yeah. background. Because it's like, right. yeah, I mean, like, w- well, like, yeah, they are not coming out of cryogenic sleep to go, <laughs> go slay the orc. Hmm. Yeah, so I, pl- I ran a, uh, like, a one-shot, two-shot pretty recently, and the, this is the first time I had this happen, the players started to ship the two, like, bad guys in the, in the game, like, okay. you know, like, shipping, like, yeah. so they were, like coming up with a relationship that I didn't exactly intend, but I started to run with it a little bit. Uh, and it'll be kind of like a fun, fun character moment for these, you know, these frankly, like quite evil NPCs, but they were also in love with each other. Right. As, as uh, the story was going on. Yeah. So that was something that like my players wanted to see in the game. And it was not in, in, in my mind at all. But yeah. So, I mean, like listening to them made it kind of a more like a richer story. Right mm-hmm. to do that, but then more recently, so I'm playing in a game that uh, Matt Wilson, who's been on the the podcast a couple of times, is running, and he he introduced a character who's been flirting with my with my character, and I had this moment of like, well, wait, no, like this, we can't, no, we can't possibly do this. This is ridiculous, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but then it's like, well, it's a game, right? And again, same thing. It's like the character is going to have 
a rich inner life and you know probably be <laughs> interested in people as things are going along ended up playing along with it a little bit and ended up being like you know a fun fun series of story beats so like when you think about games and like sessions and stuff that you play that are like particularly good it's like rarely like oh i had a super good role right it's like something narratively interesting happened mm-hmm. right so like if you can take these things that are pretty benign and make them like give them more hooks and more opportunities to be interesting i mean i think it's worth worth exploring i mean obviously right like we're three sitting here like fumbling over ourselves being like well romance right <laughs> like, you can't have that in the game. <laughs> yeah but i mean that probably speaks more to like emotional maturity or whatever but it's like i mean there is i mean that's so much a part of like day-to-day life like why wouldn't it also appear in a game world <laughs> just because there isn't a, a d20 table in the player's mm, handbook yeah, for absolutely. it I have a cautionary tale about uh, romance in uh, role-playing games from my youth. Uh, one of the first times that romance and relationships entered our games, albeit in a somewhat immature manner, was me and my high school buddies were playing uh, the old Middle-Earth role-playing game, and at some point, a female NPC had appeared in a couple of adventures. And although we weren't doing anything, you know, like acting out any romantic scenes, at some, it seemed like it would be fun for one of the players, you know, to fall in love with that NPC and get married to that NPC, which all happened kind of outside during the what you might call downtime. And so the very first session we were running after the player had either gotten married or at least had entered into some sort of relationship with the NPC, I did the only thing that you can really do when you're a teenage male, and that is I had the uh, beloved NPC secretly murdered and replaced by a doppelganger that uh, <laughs> that ambushed yeah, the that's, party, that's and I still I still remember the glorious critical hit that it got <laughs> by attacking from surprise in mid adventure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So everyone, if you're listening, if you're not sure how to broach the topic of romance and relationships, that's the old doppelganger <laughs> trick is a is a classic. Yeah, that's like the perfect teenage boy response. <laughs> that's uh, yeah. That was my, my that was my uh, that was how I rolled until alarmingly late in life. But yeah, <laughs> but enough about that. Do you think that might be why? Like, I'm sure everybody had these teenage experiences with you know the evil GM. Because I didn't play when I was a kid, but I was playing when I was 19 and 20, and we were still doing dumb, dumb stuff like that. But, you know, everyone who creates a character now is like, yeah, my whole family's dead. I've got no one. <laughs> because they've learned that those are tools the GM can use against you. Yeah. Like, yeah, I used to have a dog. I loved it. And then it died. And yeah. you can't use anything against me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think you are. I think you are so right. And it is such like a... It is such a teenage boy thing to do, you know, to create these loners that have no social connection. And yeah, mm-hmm. now we're all older and we realize that the fun of life <laughs> comes from these social connections, right? And like mm-hmm. it would yeah. be so much it would bring so much to the gaming table if you could if you could hook into some of that. But yeah. Yeah, and I mean I've I've created my share of lone rangers whose families were all mysteriously killed, uh and now they're ninjas <laughs> bent on revenge. But uh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like you should have to you know every game should start with like okay and now give the gm three emotional daggers they can use against you mm, yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. well it's the thing that some of the newer school games do i do appreciate that they explicitly incorporate like um you know games like fate not that fate mm. is like super story gamey or whatever but you know fate asks you when you create your character to 
define parts of your character in relationship to one or more other PCs that are there at the table. And you know, it doesn't mean that those are romantic relationships, and probably usually they're not. But there's so much um, there's so much depth in there, and having a mechanical prompt, you know, being forced by your character sheet to, oh, I'm jealous of this person over here, or I have a crush on this person here, or I, I, I don't trust this NPC over there. You know, it's, it's nice to have those prompts like that. Don, I'm actually curious, right? So I think like Andy and I, it's, we, we kind of run games similarly, right? Like, you mm-hmm. know, we've known each other for a while too. But I'm curious for you, like when you start up a, like a campaign, you know, and you're going over sort of characters and stuff, do you like to have sort of all these, all these hooks sort of figured out ahead of time with your players? Do you like adding them as you're playing the game? You know, what's, what's sort of your style? It has changed over the last nine years or so. Like I used to, back when we were running, we first started like seriously gaming with first edition AD&D, even though it was 2011. Uh, those are the books we still had, you know. So yeah, I would like, hey, let's have, you know, let's have a backstory and let's have, you know, let's have a bunch of this. And I would actually plan out like, you know, everything like the the world, you know, I wouldn't railroad them, but I mm-hmm. would say this is going to happen this way. If this happens, like things were conditional mm-hmm. um, and I did not want to push anyone in any direction. Um, so, yeah, I used to do it more that way. Uh, when I started playing a lot of Dungeon Crawl classics, they have, I don't know how, how familiar you are with the rules, but there's I'm not the, at all, though. I keep on hearing about it. Yeah. So I'm, pick it yeah. Up I'm a fan now. Yeah, it's a great game. Yeah, yeah, like the zero-level funnel where you just have four zero-level guys with, you know, one to four hit points, and you kind of make the story in play. So mm-hmm. now it's just like there's no, there's like nothing. Like, you know, <laughs> you kind of make, oh, man, my brother, you know, jumped into this well, and I'm left with the sword he had. You kind of generate the story as you play, which I really liked. Yeah, this is all making me wonder about having a character in a party who, like, is a shopkeeper, too, mm-hmm. right? Like, and maybe, you know, like, what you could do with that, you know, like, so maybe part of his or her goal, right, when they're going out on adventures is to come back with, with more things to sell, right, to mm-hmm. other people oh, yeah. in the town. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure this is, like, this is, there's a video game about this, I'm positive, right? Like, <laughs> you play the shopkeeper and stuff. But, yeah, that could be really fun, too. It's like, I mean, there's, like, I think commerce is very much it's always thought about in tabletop games is like, you're going to sell to the store and the store is, you know, giving you stuff back. There's no reason why. I mean, if you walk out with 30 short swords from a castle, you Mm -hmm. just ransacked, you could set up your own shop, right? Right. Yeah. Do your groups play like that? Do they grab all the short swords to go sell? Um, Cause mine don't, but Mm -hmm. if I'm playing a video game, that's the first, (laughs) like I'll carry so much back. Like I'm playing, uh, what am I playing right now? Uh, Divinity original sin two, like, my people are loaded up, and I'm just like, yeah, there's, I, I can get three coins for this, and that's something. <laughs> yeah. They're carrying apple pies and apples, and yeah. every single thing they find, I'm like, yeah, it's a bowl. It's worth one gold point, yeah. you know, gold piece. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I'm, but my players don't really play like that. Yeah. Like, if I say, oh, there's this elaborate, you know, chest of drawers, it's like a fancy, they might try and take it out, but they usually don't. Um, you know, they want coin, they want gems, they want magic. Yeah. Uh, they don't actually, but it's, yeah, it's kind of weird because you don't really, 
you don't really encourage that, I guess. If you are doing encumbrance, you're like, no, that sword weighs, yep. you know, 10 GP. and Yeah. Do you ever give them stuff that's, like, tantalizing to buy, right? Like, I- I've played with this a little bit, like, giving, like mm. having items that are essentially worthless, but they are really fun to own and just making them expensive. So they have to kind of make a decision of, well, we only have 50 gold pieces as a party, and that thing costs 40? Like, do you really need it? It's like, well... Yeah, I mean, because it's cool, right? <laughs> like, you know, but right. do you ever give them kind of goals of, for what they're collecting their money for? I I haven't, no. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I can see it being a good idea. Like, mm-hmm. the way it usually goes, hey, we've got these coins, let's buy a gem because it's lighter, and let's go back out and get more. Uh, because you know, a lot of the systems we were running a lot of, um, you got XP for each gold point you brought back. Yeah. Like, you didn't really have to spend it. But then I kind of, I tightened it down and said, yeah, you have to use this for something. So, you know, if they ended up leaving this huge stash behind in the town because it was overrun by six-foot-tall kobolds because they missed every single clue I gave them (laughs) that this was going to happen, like, that's, they they lost a lot of experience points that way. Because they didn't bring their, you know, treasure out. Like, they didn't, they, they brought it back into their, you know, their house, but they didn't actually get to use it. Yes. And we're on your side here, so... Yeah. <laughs> Just, yeah. yeah. You know, how many clues can you drop? Yeah. <laughs> Don, hearing you talk about your you know, that instinct you have, in computer games at least, to grab everything that's not nailed down. Like, we've all, we've all been there in computer games where it's like, the whole... This area is depressurizing, and the asteroid's about to hit. But, like, hang on, I've got to check over here because there's, right. like, some garbage. Some, like, literal <laughs> garbage over here that I need yeah. to loot. Uh, yeah 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 like like all the like the story prompts are like this is happening but you're like it's not really happening and i need to go check out that corpse over there is there a timer Um, unless there's a timer i don't care yeah yeah. which is why i make sure there is a timer in like you know the pen and paper games uh, because i because i know how that can be exploited and i'm not trying to be a jerk i'm just trying to make it you know immersive like real yeah Yeah. you know (laughs) Um, what is, uh, so I'm thinking back about like, you know, giving them sort of those like tantalizing items and stuff. Are there any items that you two like to just introduce into games or just like, they have to get this right. It's just something that is just one of the players looks at that mm-hmm. in game is like, I, I need to get that. Do you have any sort of stories along those lines? Anything that you've introduced magic item or other? I don't. I not a ton. I do love to introduce magic items that don't have a mechanical benefit, or at least not any sort of like tactically useful mechanical benefit. Yeah. Just because it, my experience tells me that those will be used in interesting and funny and memorable ways. But mm-hmm. I can't say that I ever do that with like mundane objects. And honestly, mm-hmm. this discussion is making me realize that you know, I don't really talk about mundane objects much at all in my games. You know, my sort of default assumption is that if the players need a fork, there's a fork. And even on even on like low level adventuring equipment that that you would expect that a trained adventurer would bring, I don't. You know, I often kind of even glaze over exactly what is in their backpack. You know, it's, it makes sense for your character to have whatever a ten foot pole. I mean, maybe or maybe not, but. 
I don't know, I guess I'm rambling a little bit here, mm-hmm. but no, I don't say I don't do that too much except with the exception of like if a magic item is really obviously going to lend itself to some funny hijinks, I'll put that in there. The the item in question like that I'm thinking about is the the cloak of billowing. So this was in Xanathar's guide. Okay. Uh it's a cloak that like the only thing that it does is it billows dramatically behind you. <laughs> That's great. Right. <laughs> so like in game, right, like I don't even know if it's part of the actual tables. Like you snap and then the cloak billows behind you and then you snap and it, it falls back. So there's no mechanical benefit whatsoever. It's just like I can look cool in this moment. Yeah. Right. So it's just like the wizard has to buy it. Right. Like they just, <laughs> yes. they just have to. <laughs> yeah. But like, right. It's led to some fun story, like story moments or, you know, like ways they can explore their character a bit more. Mm-hmm. having access to that. But I think like, Andy, you run like low magic games, right? Is that sort of your thing? Yeah. Generally speaking, most of the, in the last couple of years, the games I've played have either been low level D and D or Pathfinder or a setting like a Middle Earth, which does not go heavy into, like, doesn't have a lot of like powerful magic stuff laying around. What about you, Don? Do you do you like tossing out magical items? I yeah, mine is pretty low magic too. Uh, in fact, I was thinking when you were talking about like you know that magical item that they just have to buy. Like, I don't think I ever have any magical item for them to buy. Like, it's all mm. kind of it's all found and. Uh-huh. You know, because I really, my style of storytelling and running a game is definitely more like explore, like explore this over here. Um, you know, oh, you found this. Yeah, you, you do find magic. Like, you know, one time my party found these crazy undead heads that would kind of like, you could make them say spells if you mm. could unlock them. And I think the campaign just fizzled out before they actually did that. But there's lots of cool stuff they can find that I've placed here and there. Yeah, yeah but I don't think I've ever like had any magic item for sale ever. Really? That, yeah. That's yeah. interesting. And but I'm really I'm drawn to that because since like Tolkien, Lord of the Rings was one of the big fantasy things I was reading when I was a kid, and it sort of set my expectation that yeah, you don't go to a shop and find uh, you know powerful magic stuff. You Mm-hmm. You run into that in the world, and it's got a history. It's got a reason for being where it is. Yeah, that's very different than the, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to buy or craft my plus three, you know, Vorpal sword mm-hmm. now. Right. You don't. You don't think Sauron made two One Rings and sold one of them? Yeah, I guess to get <laughs> to get into magic item crafting in Middle Earth, you have to really be pretty. Kicks in at like fiftieth level is when you can start <laughs> start crafting stuff. So. Uh, do you guys uh, have any sort of crafting? mess with crafting or like let people like customize or build their own magic stuff Look, going back to the player who wanted to modify like you know her outfit and stuff i've let stuff like that happen and i will try to build in build in like a sequence of events to to doing that so another character wanted to build a a pauldron right i don't really know my armor right is that like a shoulder thing yeah like a shoulder thing for his familiar to sit on right so like i made them like find bones right that they could use for the little mm-hmm. perch and like you know spend some time around the campfire to make it right like so, so that was pretty fun i don't think i made them pay any money right yeah. <laughs> for it which is probably what i should have done but it was, it was still a fun right. story yeah. thing yeah all, all these rule books these days have like a big section on like crafting equipment and i always yeah it's like a, i always kind of look in wonder at those chapters that i'll never really use <laughs> like <laughs> i'm glad someone out there is really digging their 45 pages of mm-hmm. magical crafting rules, but not for me. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we should wrap it up. We've been going for a little bit. Uh, this has been really good. 
as expected, we ended up spending a little bit more time on shopping than romance. So maybe, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> maybe let's all just like think about that and then come back next time with a with a really good response. That's, <laughs> but, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, so I guess, yeah, any kind of parting shots before we do our wrap-up? Anybody have any, like, last stuff they've just been wishing they were saying? I mean, this conversation has made me think that, like, there's a lot of stuff I'm missing out by not engaging more intentionally, especially since we talked about it more with shopping and economy stuff. I I really do tend to gloss over this stuff, and it sounds so cool to hear you guys talking about it. I need to do a better job. (laughs) Yeah, well, me too. But yeah, um, so Don, do you have any upcoming projects you want to tell us about? I actually just a few weeks ago wrapped up a Kickstarter for my next book called Forgotten Rights. Ooh, nice. Uh, what was it called? Forgotten Rights of the Moldering Dead. Like the first one was Lesser Key of the Celestial Legion, and my friend Sean McCoy was like, you got to kind of, that's that's your thing now. You got to keep on doing yeah. it. And it sucks because... <laughs> The names are so long, yeah. Like, yeah, they're like black metal as heck. Yes, yeah. <laughs> That's me cleaning it up for this family-friendly yeah, show. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, they're so eldritch uh, in her metal, right? Yeah. <laughs> but then I forget what the titles are, yeah. or you know, is it two or of or four? Like, yeah. yeah. But that is um, that's going to be a source book compatible with DCC. All kinds of undead stuff. Generators to kind of make your undead a little bit different. Uh, funeral rites. I have this weird idea that there should be like funeral parades with like jesters. And I don't know. We'll see where it goes. Uh, I've got yeah. a bunch of crazy ideas. I've written a lot of them out. I'm starting to have art come in. Oh, cool. So that's, so that's cool. I've uh, There's been some floating around on Twitter. Uh, so that's my next big project. I'm also working on... Something for Exalted Funeral. I don't know if you know that. I don't know. Um, It's a web store. Matt Kelly and his wife run it. They do RPG, metal, and like occult stuff. Oh, Oh, wow. So it's like a really cool place. He's got all the good stuff. I'm working with him and some of the artists he's gotten to do this, to write a dungeon for him. So that's two of the upcoming things. That sounds amazing, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so then the last thing we need to ask you to do is uh, to replace the topic that we just talked about, right? So <laughs> I don't know if you've thought of anything that you want to add. Um, if not, I was uh, I was going to uh, tell you to talk about like, uh, like the classic mega dungeons, mm-hmm. but uh, as we talked, I think it, I'm going to torture <laughs> you guys and the next guest. Um, you should really talk about inventory management and encumbrance <laughs> and pros and cons. Yes. Okay. Okay. I like it. Right. <laughs> and you were talking to an old school role master, Jim, and uh, it was uh, that's all about the encumbrance. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> I've been waiting to talk about this for months. So. Yeah, nice, if you're ready nice. for like Andy and I are just both going to have like a, a 10 minute debate style <laughs> monologue on this. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh boy, do I have opinions. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Well, this has been a super good discussion. Don, we're really glad that you joined us, and we appreciate you taking time out of your evening here to to record with us. This has been awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Don. Um, Yeah. Well, I've been Chris Salzman. I've been Andy Rao. And remember, if your players are having fun, you're a great GM. 